who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? We would be honored if you would join us. <laughs> Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I'm your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 546. And I'm here once again only to help you have the best vacation experience when you go to the Disney parks. But I also want to bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are, not just with the podcast, but with my videos, blog, live video broadcasts on Facebook every Wednesday night, books, audio tours, special events, and more. You can find everything over at www.radio.com. So arguably the most anticipated expansion to a Disney park ever is finally going to be realized this year when both Disneyland and Walt Disney World will open up portals to a new universe of adventure with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. More details have recently been revealed, and this week we're going to help you prepare for and navigate this incredibly large and immersive new land with part one of our in-depth look at everything you need to know about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. We'll start by exploring the history behind the development of this land, as well as what to expect in terms of attractions, food, merchandise, technology, and experiences, as well as how to prepare yourself and your family for what's to come. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and I'll pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show. I'll have more information about upcoming WW Radio events, meets of the month, your voicemails and more so sit back relax and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show beginning this summer Disneyland and Walt Disney World will not only expand, but transform in ways that not only have we never seen before, and not just in scale, but in story, technology, and experiences. And in doing so, these parks are going to attract not just Disney fans from around the world, but a new demographic that can live out the stories that they grew up watching and dreaming about. Because finally, after decades of creating stories with our action figures in our basements and on our bookcases and in our backyards, we are going to be able to live out our Star Wars fantasy in Galaxy's Edge. And as we rapidly approach opening dates on both coasts, more and more details are being revealed about just what we can expect. So this week, I want to help you learn not just about what's coming but help you to prepare for your experiences and adventures at Black Spire Outpost in Galaxy's Edge 
in Disneyland and Disney's Hollywood Studios. I was going to call this 10 things that you need to know about, but let's just really say it's everything you need to know about Star Wars Galaxy's (laughs) Edge, what's coming, what to expect in terms of attractions and food and merchandise and technology and experiences, as well as how to prepare yourself and your family for what's to come. And joining me this week are fellow Disney and Star Wars enthusiasts. I can affectionately call them nerds and me nerds because we're friends. (laughs) And I think they both have actually started making camp at the end of the queue somewhere on I-4 for Galaxy's Edge's opening day, which is going to extend out there, as I'm sure. They are also longtime friends. You may remember him from such places as... The D23 Expo, he remains the keeper of the box. He is my friend, Corey Bassett. Uh, hi, I'm holding for General Hux. <laughs> that, will n- <laughs> that will not be the first, nor shall it be the last Star Wars <laughs> reference here. And former Walt Disney World cast member, Dream Squad member, and fellow podcaster over at the Average Disney Podcast, he is Danny Bogue. Danny, Welcome. Hey, how are you guys doing? I'm I am well, you say average dis nerd. Uh I I am an average nerd, but man, I am nerding out right now. I'm so ready to do this. <laughs> yeah, when this was coming up and I said, you know, I think I want to do something, you know, even though we're relatively early on in the process, you know, you guys were the first ones that that came to mind because I know that again, you're you're not just Disney fans, but Star Wars fans. So, so just very quickly by way of background, Corey and then Danny, um, you know, like I said, once when we first heard about the announcement of this Star Wars land that was going to be coming to the the parks, we knew that this was every Star Wars kid fan dream come true. When and how did your Star Wars fandom begin for you? Uh, so for me, it started when I was a kid. Uh, every weekend we'd do you still uh, are laundry, kid, you still watching are the uh, <laughs> the gold gold box VHS at home pretty mm-hmm. much every weekend. Uh, and then it just grew as I got older, my dad and I joined the uh, 501st Legion uh, and, and it just, it's just blossoming gloriously, gloriously uh, for years to come now, it seems so. And if you could see what I see, which is a video window into Corey's office, uh, he has his <laughs> wife has allowed him to take over a bedroom, basically to display all of his Star Wars. And like you're even, you're, we're obviously not doing video, but you are dressed appropriately in your your Star Wars costume. <laughs> yeah, I've got my uh, walking wounded TK five one nine zero five shirt on. So, and, uh, and uh, if you remember the expo, uh, Theronius Crumbs with me too. Right. So explain for those people who don't know what or who a Theronius Crumb is and, and what the, the the Star Wars reference is. So if I haven't already uh, kind of exposed myself as an uh, inner geek, uh, so Theronius Crumb was a Kowakian monkey lizard that's been made, uh, kind of customized, and there's, there's some people that make them out there. But uh, I had mine made like Thrawn, the character, so we called him Theronius Crumb, so... And and for those of you who remember from uh, Return of the Dread- the Jedi, what what's the character reference that they would find? Uh, so Jabba's uh, little sidekick, Salacious Crumb, with the I can't do it, but the high pitched little hee <laughs> laugh. I, I, I do it horribly, but that's that's him. But uh, yeah, he's a cool little character. But uh, he followed us around for Expo for a while. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah, sure he's an internet meme now. <laughs> <laughs> Danny, what about for you? 
so funny enough, my parents are not nerds. Uh, I am a nerd, but <laughs> my parents did not raise one necessarily. Uh, my parents aren't into Star Wars, so my uncle was actually the one that got me into it. I must have been probably 10 years old, and I was visiting my uncle's house, and he I let it slip that I had never seen a Star Wars movie, and he was obsessed. And he's like, "You wait, hold on, what?" He ran upstairs, he grabbed the VHS, he ran back downstairs, and he goes, "Russ, you're sitting your son down, and we are watching this movie." <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was the moment that I got obsessed. And it's funny you re you reference how I used to be a cast member uh, during that time. That was during Star Wars weekends. For those that might remember those really fun times in May and June, um, where Disney's Hollywood Studios would get taken over by Star Wars uh, celebrities and different events and shows. And I remember seeing that and going, wow, I'm a Star Wars nerd and Disney nerd. It'll never get better than this. <laughs> <laughs> Little did naive Danny know that in 2018, he would be losing his mind over some of these announcements. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, my history goes back a little bit farther because nine-year-old Lou Mangiello <clears throat> excuse me, remember, remembers, and I've told the story in the past, I remember going with my dad and sitting all the way like in the second or third row of a theater at Middlesex Mall in in South Plainfield, New Jersey. And I still, like it was yesterday, remember watching the the starship go, come and, and enter the screen from seemingly overhead. And my dad and I looked up at each other and were just like, what is this? Like we've, we never saw anything like that before. And to say it was an impactful moment and, and Star Wars was very much part of my childhood, but there was nothing for years. You know, we had toys and I used to take, you know, I mean, they, my parents had bought me like the lightsabers back then were basically flashlights with a plastic tube on them. But <laughs> we would take the Christmas wrapping tubes and just beat each other senseless. And, you know, I played with my figures. Actually, yeah, that's a lie. My parents were very generous. They bought act the, the original 12 action figures from me and my brother. So we played with his, and I still have my original 12 carded in the in a box, like hermetically sealed, stored away. I was going to say protected, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, like you said, Danny, we it, it took a long time before our fandom was able to be expressed and shared whether it was at conventions and then star wars celebration and then, and then star wars weekends and then we hear not after the the acquisition of you know the very surprising acquisition of lucasfilm by by disney that they are going to bring this land to life and it made me think immediately of fantasy land in disneyland where when that first opened it gave guests the opportunity to experience stories, not just by watching them on 2D movie screens, but as participants on a three-dimensional stage. And I think to that point, Walt would be very, very excited and very proud of, of what's to come because I think this is an exponential extension of what he wanted to do um, in Fantasyland. And I think even more, I, I think Pandora was that first step towards that true immersion and interaction. But I think Galaxy's Edge is going to redefine what a truly interactive theme park experience is going to be. And we're going to get into a lot of what that interaction is going to be because I think it's going to be very novel, very, very new, and and very exciting for guests. And I think that's why I wanted to, to sort of help prepare them a little bit. But let's sort of take a 30,000-foot view of the world itself because Disney has created not just new storylines but an, an entirely new 
planet and environment for us to step foot in. And we were saying before we started recording, everything that we're going to see, everything that we're going to do is going to be canon. There's been so many different Star Wars, you know, novels and comic books and and the timelines get a little screwy sometimes. We're not going to even mention the Star Wars holiday special because that doesn't count. <laughs> but but take us through um and sort of and you guys can, you know, we could all sort of do this together. Take this through what the storyline of this planet Batu on the sort of outer rim is going to be like and what and where the Black Spire outpost is. Well, something that really like impresses me just even before I get to the actual story of Black Spire Outpost is how it was conceived. Because if you like what if you look at the interactions with Imagineers that we've seen, they've always said that they considered doing a, a Hoth or, you know, these these scenes that we've seen in the movies. But they realized we want to put the people in Star Wars. If they've seen the movie and they've seen Hoth, uh, then they know what that's like. And they know that they're not actually in that movie. Whereas Batu, the planet that we will be visiting in Galaxy's Edge and Black Spire Outpost, the specific city on Batu, no one's ever been there before. So this gives them a really great opportunity to now create something brand new for guests so that both diehard fans, like all of us here, <laughs> but also all of these new people that might be coming in, everyone's on a level playing field of seeing something brand new to the point where they're even creating, correct me if I'm wrong, comic books and novels all taking place on Batu. And I've actually heard a rumor about the Disney plus streaming service show, uh, the Mandalorian, that there might be scenes in the Mandalorian that take place on Batu. So the, the concept of a brand new world that no one's ever seen before, but we're all going to get it in one place at one time. That's incredible. Yeah, it absolutely. It gives them a platform to, it's just a blank canvas of anything they want to build. They don't have to worry necessarily about the continuity of Tatooine, how many times we visited that, uh, whether it be the comic books or the um, the actual books or the films. We, we don't have to worry about where that planet lays with the rest of the story. We have a whole new platform to build off of. Literally, the sky's the limit. Um, but yeah, and it's important to note there on the timeline of things, how this falls in with the rest of the films and, and everything else that we've already come to know, this falls into the sequel trilogy. And we're not exactly sure where in the timeline it falls, but we do know that this is part of everything that we are already learning about everything that's new. Um, so it's somewhere between episode seven and nine. Uh, and, the, and from what I've already seen just through the, the releases that they've already gone through, there's still going to be references to the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels and the prequel trilogy. So we don't have to worry about necessarily forgetting what we've already come to know it, they're going to very much enhance and build on what we already have. Right. So there's a couple of things that, that I like about this. And Danny, to your point, I, I like the fact that you use the term that an empty playing field, that it does allow you don't have to be a, a, a Star Wars nerd in order to enjoy and appreciate this. You can come in and we'll talk about how it, it's crafting brand new stories. But that being said, you are not going to come in. You're not going to see Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. The familiar faces you're going to see are Poe Dameron and BB-8 and Ray and Finn. So in the, 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 the massive timeline and a number of stories, that's where it's going to sit. Yes. There may be references, excuse me, to quote unquote, you know, your star Wars. Like for me, my star Wars sits in very firmly in the original trilogy. Um, you're not going to necessarily see those characters, but you're not going to also feel 
completely lost um, because mm-hmm. you're you're in this this outpost uh, that has, I think, a very Tatooine-ish type feel in terms of it's this outpost of smugglers and traders and um, um, those who are trying to sort of maybe stay a little bit a little hidden from um, the the first order and this rising of um, the resistance. But before, you know, I, I want to sort of step back a little bit bef- because I, before we even get into the park itself, um, we're, we're talking about how this is going to be a very immersive experience. And one of the things I, I wanted to mention, because I think it's going to be impactful um, for those guests that participate in it, is that obviously in addition to Galaxy's Edge, there was the announcement for the as yet unnamed Star Wars Resort Hotel. And I think, mm-hmm. so to pull a Corey Bassett, like Chewy, we're home. Like this is the thing that people <laughs> were losing their minds about. And I think it's important for a number of reasons. One, like the land itself, this resort is going to be a very different experience than anything else we've had before. They, Bob Chapek, I think, described it as 100% immersive, the most experiential concept that Parks and Resorts has ever done. And like the land, the hotel staff, much like the, the quote-unquote cast members that are going to be in the land, are going to not only be in costume, but are going to be interacting with guests as if they really were in the Star Wars universe. I think we got a little bit taste of this in Pandora, but the things that are going to happen to guests that stay in the hotel are going to impact their experiences inside Batu and I think vice versa. Let's, so let's talk a little bit about the, the hotel itself. Um, it, it's a small boutique style hotel. We don't really know the exact number of rooms, but what I'm sort of gathering is that the hotel experience here is almost going to be analogous to taking a Disney cruise. You will have a truly immersive, you know, three or four day experience that is going to begin the second that you get to that resort. Uh, why, don't, why don't we talk? A, why don't you guys talk a little bit about what that that hotel experience is going to be like? You know, I think about like. In 2019, you know, in the past 10 some odd years, how deep rooted technology is with everybody. Think about how right now you're probably listening to us on a phone of some kind, a pocket computer that you are connected to the Internet and you're always connected to the outer world. What's really impressing me and exciting me about uh, this Star Wars Hotel is they want to disconnect you from that, seemingly. They want you to be so immersed in another galaxy to the point... So the hotel, basically, for those that don't know, uh, there's some great concept art that you can see where you arrive at the hotel just like any other resort, and you walk in, but you're going to enter... If you remember back in the day at uh, the Living Seas in Epcot, the hydrolators, <laughs> it, it almost looks like a hydrolator where you're going to stand in a room, and you're going to be blasted off into space, and you're going to leave Orlando, Florida, and you're going to go up into space... And then you're going to be on, like, you, Lou, you said, like, a, a cruise ship. Seemingly, it will be like a, a cruise ship in, the, in space, <laughs> in the Star Wars universe. And when you're up there, you're going to be surrounded by star fields and different uh, Star Wars ships and different creatures that will be in the hotel, quote-unquote, on the ship with you. And if I think about immersive storytelling, disconnecting from the real world, man, 
forget the theme park, forget entering a theme park. You're going to be doing that in your hotel. And what's really exciting is supposedly this hotel will also have a direct access line to Galaxy's Edge itself. So you won't even be walking through Disney's Hollywood Studios front gate. You'll be leaving your hotel room, boarding a uh, a Galaxy ship onto Earth, or I guess onto Batu directly. <laughs> it's It's, as you said, immersive, but also one of the craziest, most experiential things they've ever tried to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, having the direct access to the park is going to be uh, a huge selling point for anybody who might be on the fence. We don't even know the pricing yet, but pretty sure that price is a going lot. to be a lot easier <laughs> to justify. <laughs> It'll be so much easier to justify if they throw in a, and you'll be first in line the next morning at, you know, Hollywood Studios mm-hmm. or Batu. But uh, yeah, I can't wait. And, and even the concept art shows, you know, most people are in costume. They're not they're not in jeans and a t-shirt or flip-flops. They, they seem very much in the world as, as everything else in that scenario or that environment is. Um, I'm just wondering if they have blue milk. <laughs> well, and I think, <laughs> to your point, I, I think your experience can be as immersive as you want it to be. So, yes, you are going to get there. You're going to be transported onto this vessel. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong that I'm... I'm expecting that you're not going to have a window in your room with a view out to the pool. You are going to have a screen that's going to give you a view of what the, you on this ship would be passing. You can. Well, if I can, if I can quote the, I actually have it up. I have Disney's announcement up. Uh, quote at the resort, guests immediately become active citizens of the galaxy and can dress up in the proper attire. Every resort window will also have a view into space. So you're right. This is going to be. A little odd because you'll be in Orlando, Florida, but I don't think there's going to be a pool because in space, well, I mean, it's a vacuum. You probably not do so well at a pool. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's almost going to be like a black box experience where everything that you see on the outside, and we've heard about this concept coming to like the Mission Space Restaurant and things like that. The view that you have outside is going to be provided to you via a screen. But if you want to be in costume, if you want to sort of you know, take a, a deeper dive, you can do that. You know, we've talked about what the potential pricing might be and, and the numbers being floated around are, are pure speculation. I don't think anybody has any idea. I'm Again, I'm thinking about it in terms of what a cruise-like experience will be, what might be included in terms of, of food, um, things that you can add on if you want, if you want to do the the costumes as well. I don't, I think to a certain degree, the price doesn't matter because, you know, for some Star Wars fans, it, however, it's going to be the the line to uh, to get into this resort is going to be great. I've also heard that you may not be able to visit the resort, like only guests who are mm-hmm. staying there because they want to keep that veil of illusion around. And this reminds me of, an early concept for Tower of Terror. When Tower of Terror was thought about being an actual hotel, they were going to pick you up at the airport in this old, like, woody station wagon where the windows had (laughs) curtains on them. So as soon as you were picked up, you were transported back to the 1930s. This is going to happen that same way once you enter that threshold. You know, we get that experience when you go into Main Street, when you go into Adventureland, when you go into Pandora, but it's going to be um, uh, uh, there's going to be a moment where you are going to realize that you are no longer in 
you know, 920 degrees central Florida. Space is a little hot too, <laughs> but you're going to be you're going to be on this this ship in space. And I think I wanted to to mention it not just because what I think is going to happen at the hotel is going to impact you in the parks, but I think vice versa. I think things that you do in the parks are going to impact your experience there. That's where your your magic band, your play Disney Parks app is going to become um it's going to become critical. So um, obviously you don't have to stay in the hotel to experience Galaxy's Edge, but I think it's going to be, like I said earlier, it, this is what we as kids like dreamt about. Like we want to just live inside this world. We want it to be from beginning to end. And for those fans or kids who want to do this, like I think this is a brilliant idea of, look, we, we talk about when you go to Orlando, we you, we encourage guests to stay at a Disney resort, right? So you're inside mm-hmm. the bubble, you're inside the magic the entire time. This takes it to a, a whole different level altogether. Well, I think of it like if you go to a restaurant, if I tell you, uh, for example, I went to Ale and Compass last night and I had a fantastic steak. So I can tell you, go to Ale and Compass, have this great steak. The steak is going to be great no matter what. Now, if you want to plus it, I can suggest a really good wine and the Parker House Rolls that you should probably get. <laughs> now, you don't need the Parker House Rolls and the oh, yes, wine you to do. experience you, you, that. You, yeah, you absolutely do. <laughs> this is true. I, I forgot I am on Lou's show. <laughs> but like that, that's kind of how I view it. Like You're still going to get an incredible experience. But if you loved that and you want to take it to the nth degree, then I think that the uh, the new resort, which we don't even know an opening date, right? Like I don't think that this is opening no. concurrently with Galaxy's Edge. Like when this opens, I think that will be the quote unquote ultimate way to to experience the whole park. Yeah. It uh if you think the lines for Galaxy's Edge are gonna be long, it's gonna be interesting to see how long it's gonna take before you're able to get a a, a reservation uh in here. But let, let's get to the land itself. And I think sort of almost a um a parallel analogy is what the entering of the land. So in in Disneyland, and again, Disneyland and, and Hollywood Studios versions are are basically going to be, for all intents and purposes, mirror images of themselves. Although in Disneyland, there'll be three different entrance points from Critter Country, Fantasyland, and Frontierland. Here at Disney's Hollywood Studios, you'll be able to enter from that that sort of grand gate um, off of, off of Grand Street by um, by Muppet Vision, as well as through Toy Story Land. And my understanding, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, is that much like when you enter through a portal through some of the lands, especially in Magic Kingdom, there's going to be this very narrow, compressed entranceway, and then it's going to sort of open up and have this grand reveal like you have on uh, on Main Street USA, and you are going to get that, much like when you turn that corner and get the reveal of the castle, you are going to get that... OMG moment when you see this life-size gigantic Millennium Falcon sitting right in front of you. Yep, absolutely. Everything I've seen from especially the Disneyland since they're a little bit farther ahead on the construction uh, coming out of Critter Country, it looks like you're going to go under a berm. And as soon as you come out from under that, it's just opened up. So it should be very, very much uh, a wow moment of just seeing it for the first time. Yeah, the language I heard uh, used with Imagineers was that they wanted to compress you before they expanded your view. 
So the cave that, that you're going to walk through uh, on at either coast, Disneyland or Walt Disney World, uh, they're going to compress you by pushing you through the small little cave. And it's going to feel very uh, small and tight. But then the moment that like kind of like, you know, the sunlight hits you and when you enter uh, Batu, they want you to have a cinematic experience. Like, Lou, you, you brought up the idea of like the Main Street uh, train tracks. Like you go onto the train tracks. And for those of you that don't know, at Main Street, the whole concept of that was originally movie theaters how there would be a red curtain and you would pull back the red curtain before you see the the movie screen and that's how uh main street and train tracks were created so in the same way going back to old i think this concept will come up a lot going back to old conceits that walt used to use as well as wedway and imagineering used back in the day they're taking those concepts and then bringing them to a much more modern age so instead you're going to be compressed and then not you won't be transported to marceline missouri (laughs) you're going to be transported to a different planet and you're going to get this giant sweeping view of a different planet. Like, and everything that I've heard is that people that have been even during construction phases where there's people in hard hats, I've heard people were like, I wept or I, I, I got choked up <laughs> and I saw a giant millennium Falcon and I felt like I was eight years old. And that to me, like I'm going to go get a tent right now and camp out on I four <laughs> because <laughs> that sounds incredible. <laughs> you guys, you guys aren't in line yet. If you're not in, right, if you're not in line yet, you're already too late. So. <laughs> but and I think you we keep using the same terms over and over again. You know, immersive, experiential. But I think the, that first moment that you step onto Main Street, that first moment that you step into Batu, is going to be so important and impactful. So not just in terms of what you see, right? And so they went to places like the the Imagining team went to places like. Morocco and Istanbul and Jerusalem to study the the architecture and the 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 weather and the sight lines, but they also use some of that early Ralph Macquarie Star Wars artwork from the original trilogy, and I think it's it's thankfully John Williams is still with us to be able to create an an original score that is really going to help set the stage because like everything else in Disney, it's using all five senses in 360 degrees and you can't underestimate the importance of not just what you see, but what you hear. And I have a feeling what were your olfactory senses are incredibly important, especially in terms of memory, what that's going to be like. Um, the one you guys want to walk through. So Black Spire Outpost is, is not just this one section there's there's the the black spire station and there's ancient ruins talk a little bit about what this environment is going to be like so my understanding is that there is a a story about the entire land that will interweave with the attractions itself that the resistance has been on the run and they are trying to get away from the first order the first order has been tracking them down and the first, or I guess I should say the Resistance, found Batu, and they found Black Spire Outpost. And on kind of the, I guess, the left-hand side, if you're viewing it straight on, there is going to be a ruins area where there's lots of foliage and it's uh, not as populated. That's where the Resistance will be hiding out. And that's where you'll see, uh, I think the model has an A-wing fighter and maybe an X-wing, if memory serves. Um, so that's where you can go and actually interact with the Resistance. And you can choose to side which with whatever side you want, and in this case, the resistance. But on the opposite polar end of the uh, land, there will be a First Order base as well, because as I said, the First Order is tracking down the resistance. And for those of you that don't know, by the way, (laughs) Star Wars, thankfully, even if you're not a big fan, 
is pretty straightforward. There's good guys and there's bad guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the resistance are, in my eyes, the good guys, and the first order are the bad guys. So the first order will be there will be a separate section for them where there will be stormtroopers and first order uh, unit members trying to track down uh, the resistance. So throughout the land, you've got two polar opposite sides of it where you can kind of feel um, the conflict between these two varying parties. Right. And the, and the environment will completely change depending on which side you're on. So the, the, like you said, with the resistance side where the runes are, um, it's going to be very, very, very um, built into the environment. Uh, they're going to, you know, walk through caves as part of a queue kind of thing. Whereas the first order, it is uh, more or less an encampment. Um, they've built out structures and they've even parked, you know, a tie echelon down there. So you have, you know, kind of your similarities between the two. You have the blue and white X-wing on one end the tie echelon on the other. Uh, and then it's also nice in the middle where the, the, uh, the parting line is, uh, there'll be bounty hunters, mercenaries, smugglers. So you don't necessarily have to pick good or bad. You can pick the middle and then you can kind of get to influence both of them with, with uh, some of the immersion that they have. Yeah. I think influence is, is a great word in terms of what your experience is going to be like. I remember, remember galactic nights, I guess it was probably, last year when they when they gave out the little trading cards and on the back of the mm. trading cards they had the the concept art that showed like the the the, the Saka homestead with the Bantha tracks and the Black Spire station and the Surabat River Valley. And if you pieced all those together, you got a sense. Obviously now we have the models over at Disney's Hollywood Studios to really get a sense of what that's going to look like. And I love being able to take, you know, sort of I mean, for me, I don't have to crouch down too low, but I can crouch down a little bit and you get sort of that first person perspective of what it's going to look like. And again, let's be clear. This land is massive. Um, this is the, the by far the largest expansion, um, e- even larger than Pandora and, and uh, Toy Story Land. So when you're in Batu, you are truly going to be surrounded in, in all directions only by Batu, you were really going to feel like you're there, and there's going to be a lot to explore even before you step foot on the first attraction into the first merchandise shop or get behind me in line at one of the many dining locations. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it looks like they've gone to great lengths to uh, help with your sight lines. So Disneyland, if, if uh, anyone's been out there, I know we, we probably all have. The sight lines are sometimes a little... Um, um, interrupted with you know the Matterhorn sticking out in you know certain parts of the park, but from everything I've seen, they've made sure you can't tell anything around you other than the planet you're on, which is amazing. Well, you know it's funny. You look. I'm sure there are some people listening to this that may have seen construction photos of Batu and Galaxy's Edge, and you go, "Oh wow, that's really big. That looks big." I'm, but then you're viewing it on a five inch phone screen, probably. <laughs> um, and I remember I, I was fortunate enough to go to uh, cast previews of uh, Toy Story Land, which I loved. And I remember we were we were all there. And we we're so excited. We get on Slinky Dog Roller Coaster, which is a Slinky Dog Dash is a great roller coaster. If you haven't been, it's worth the wait. It's fantastic. <laughs> but there's this one moment where you go up this big hill. And the, we were all enamored <laughs> with Toy Story Land, but then immediately we were like, whoa, there's Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> and we got swiftly distracted and our heads were like turning like, no, I want to see more. And even in only that one small glance, I went, wow, that place is enormous. Like if you think of uh, – it's hard to 
bring up with Disneyland because they they expanded Disneyland. But if you've visited Disney's Hollywood Studios over the past 25 years, um, Backlot Studio Tour used to be an attraction in the backside of Disney's Hollywood Studios, which is where Batu is now going to be. That was a very long attraction. And it was this huge um, car ride where there would be like eight cars that would be like traveling around for 20, 30 minutes or so. And it was a huge square footage. So if you've ever been on that attraction, think about all of that space plus Streets of America, plus the backlot area. That's a lot of space. And all of it is yeah. being used for Batu. So just to give you an idea on the, the sheer scale of how big this land is. 14 acres is a lot of land. Um, yep. it, there, there is, there's a lot of room in there. And I and from what we can gather from the the spectacular models which we first saw at D twenty three Expo is there is going to be the the environmental scapes in terms of the the areas you're gonna be able to walk through are gonna have so many sort of different feels to it right so from the the ruins on one side to the the docking bay seven where you see some of the ships and then on the the resistance side it's one land with a lot of different um feels to it and before we even get to the specifics um one of the things i think that is critical to talk about in terms of the storyline and storytelling is you can design and build the greatest place in the world but it takes people to make the dream a reality Mm-hmm. I think the cast members here, and we recently this week got a chance to see the costumes, and there are dozens of different costume styles for the cast members. But here, and again, I keep referencing Pandora, which I think was maybe a baby step in this direction. The cast members are going to be part of the story in ways that we have not seen before, because here they are not going to only have costumes that they get to choose and put together on their own, but want to be and are going to be inhabitants of this planet. They are going to have their own storyline, which they are going to, I'm assuming, you know, to ensure consistency, having have some help putting together, but everybody you meet is not going to be, you know, Jane from Orlando. It's, Corey from Tatooine, it's Danny from, I don't know where you're from, Hoth, wherever you're from. Um, (laughs) Talk a little about the the cast members and the costuming and just how important these villagers and First Order members and Resistance members are going to be to setting the stage and helping to tell not just their story, but your story. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, not on on top of the costumes. Uh, I think we had mentioned earlier this this is the first time that uh, I can recall where the the cast members get to mix and match as they see to kind of help immerse themselves in what they want to be like. So, you're probably never going to come across a cast member that looks identical to another. Uh, and then on top of that, the cast member is going to know more about you before you meet them. Uh, so, depending on how you interact with certain things in the environment, or if you mess a certain ship up, uh, they they might already have a, a pretty good idea of who you are and, and what you've been up to so they can further enhance your experience uh, with a little, you know, jab of you broke my millennium Falcon or, Hey, I heard you did a great job helping, uh, helping out Hondo. 
let me just be clear. If anyone ever damaged the, the Millennium Falcon, it would be more than a jab for my eyes. <laughs> I would be very offended that they touched my Millennium Falcon. <laughs> um, but no, you're right. I totally agree. It's very interesting to see that Disney is moving their cast members away from a service role because it'll still be service obviously there will be people serving food and you know bringing through attractions and selling merchandise and what have you uh but they're they're bringing a large portion of a characterization in there and we've seen dabbles of this on occasion uh when disney had i referenced earlier star wars uh weekends everyone would get different name tags i remember i had a different name tag that said my name but then it said like for example lou hoth it would say like danny's from hoth and those are like those were cute little things to say. Oh yeah, everyone like a super big Star Wars nerd. Uh, we saw a little bit of that with Pandora: The Land of Avatar, where you could see different type of uh, Navi language that cast members would use. But it looks like all of those things were just the lead up to this. This is when cast members are really going to have a backstory. Uh, I've actually heard rumors um, from some, from some birdies that there are going to be cast members going through a little bit of improvisation uh, training Mm -hmm. so that they can not just say, oh, yeah, I'm from, you know, whatever planet, but that if people start to banter with them, they'll have more to banter with and send them on missions and be able to talk more about their backstory. And if someone tries to trip them up, they might be able to keep up on their toes and really, really keep that same term we've been using, immersive storytelling up to par. Uh, But what's also interesting to me about the costumes if you see uh, pictures of these costumes, uh, I'm not sure if we can put them in the show notes. Uh, they look honestly just like the movies. Like mm-hmm. I'm looking at a picture right now and it looks as though I'm watching The Last Jedi. <laughs> and if you've seen any of these Star Wars movies, these costumes are thick and heavy and they're like suits or uniforms or like army or military style uh, costumes. But Disney is considering and realizing hey, this park is going to be in a swamp town known as Orlando, Florida (laughs) or in Southern California. Um, And a lot of these costumes are built with that heat in mind because they are really considering the experience of the cast members themselves. Obviously, I'm a little biased as a former cast member. I remember the sweat. I remember the sweat oh so well. (laughs) Um, But it's really cool because they're they're building them out of mesh and out of uh, certain types of cotton and new types of materials to make sure that the cast members are comfortable. But for us as the guests, they look authentic straight out of the movies. Yeah, and they they took inspiration from the films and the animated series so that those iconic looks would be recognizable but still translatable into a real-world costume that, like you said, Danny, they're using new materials, new techniques to make it so that it doesn't feel like the swamps of Dagobah, although sometimes in Florida it feels like that anyway. <laughs> but if you look, you know, the, the Resistance costumes have this sort of well-worn, beaten, sort of military-inspired, but a very different look than the very militaristic, you know, dark gray, first order, very, you know, clean and neat and polished. And then those villagers are much more um, um, they look as though they're just regular uh, townspeople with um, you know beads and necklaces and and you know they're almost sort of handmade and as you start to go through and, and get a close look the like even the food and beverage people like their costumes are almost look like they were inspired and made from um, you know old food sacks that they cut up and they put together to make costumes out of. So I love the fact that while it looks like 
some of these costumes look as though they are going to be wearing these heavy, long jackets, which you never need in Florida except for like one day in the winter, that they are going to be very cognizant of the comfort level of the cast members because they really are cast members in a story. And to your point, they are not just here to make sure you have a nice time as you go through Storybook Circus or Adventureland. But they are part of the storytelling element. And I believe that that you're right in terms of they will not just have their story to share with you. They want to make sure that you are uh, uh, taking part in this story that they are crafting for you. But I also think, and this is pure guessing, speculation, wishful thinking, I think that your app and your magic band or whatever they're going to maybe potentially use to, to have some data is going to be important in terms of things that you do or things that you don't do. And maybe they have access to some of that and they see that, you know, we'll talk about the attractions. Maybe you failed in your mission on the Millennium Falcon and that impacts the people who are part of the resistance. They can say, hey, I saw you just run the Millennium Falcon and you failed and are able to interact with you a certain way, or they see that you just, you know, crafted your own lightsaber and they can, they can create interactions that are specific to you and and not scripted. But I think you're right, Dan. I think there's going to be some um, theatrical training and coaching and and improvisational um, teaching of the cast members because it's going to be so very important specifically in this land. Yeah, I, I think that if you if you really stop and consider um, the cast member's role, you're right. The Disney Parks app is not going to be a an afterthought here. I think this is going to be a concept that we're going to be bringing up a lot throughout this conversation about uh, Galaxy's Edge. But the Parks app, or I guess I should say, sorry, the Disney Play app um, will be a huge portion. I'm not sure what these cast members will have access to, but my understanding is as well that that app I, I, you know, I've heard that the app is almost like the third attraction. There are two marquee attractions here, which we'll get to. But I've heard that the pitch is the Disney Play app will be an attraction in and of mm-hmm. itself. So to your point, it is going to be a conversational thing, not just with your family that you're with, but other families, but as well as different cast members that you're interacting with in Batu. And it would be appropriate story-wise for you to have some sort of technological device that is a communication device so it's it wouldn't make sense necessarily according to story for you to be looking at your mobile phone in Adventureland it makes perfect sense for you to be interacting on your mobile device mm-hmm. while you're in Batu for sure right and like you said about uh, echoing off of some previous um, successes it sounds like the the play app is going to mirror something like uh, the Kim Possible adventure or the Phineas and Ferb and Epcot where there's going to be side quests that you can participate in, but they're also supposed to force you to look around. They're not meant to be just, you know, play a game on your phone. You're going to have to look and find something or enable something or disable something, depending on which side you're trying to help uh, and be able to decode, you know, Arabesh or, or what, whatever it may be. But that, that, that mobile app is supposed to be like you, like you said, Dan, it's supposed to be that third attraction. And it's probably what's going to help occupy a lot of your time while you're waiting <laughs> right because you're you i think the idea and we'll, when we talk about the attractions we'll touch on this more 
is they don't want you to feel as though you are standing in a queue the way you do for Small World, Peter Pan, mm-hmm. or even even something like Navi River. And, and touching on the, the app, my understanding is that when you enter the land, the app itself is going to change from what it looks like if you were in somewhere else in Disney's Hollywood Studios to sort of a Star Wars Batu mode where you'll be able to scan and translate and have these side quests, these games. I have to imagine, um, because I know that there was testing of things years and years ago, that there has to be some sort of augmented reality aspect to this so that your interaction is not just with each other and the cast members and the attractions, but with the environment themselves. So I can imagine you hold it up and you'll be able to activate, you know, a droid the same way that you could activate a Sources of Magic Kingdom type element um, with your card. I think that you'll be able to, like you said, translate languages. I think you'll be able to maybe listen in on some things that are going on. Maybe you can sort of um, uh, sneak a listen into, you know, uh, a first order communique that's going on that it, while you're in the queue for your attraction. And I have to imagine there's going to be some type of gamification to this, uh, a reward system in terms of um, collectibles, credits, things that you can earn, things you can do in the queue, and maybe the acquisition of those collectibles and credits are things that you can exchange at mm-hmm. some of the, the merchandise locations. Maybe you can do something when you, I think when you get back to your hotel, they'll be able to say, hey, I saw you did A, B, C, and D in the park. You get this or you can't do this. And it's going to bleed out beyond the confines of the device, beyond the confines of the attraction and the land, and maybe even into the resort if you're staying there as well. Yeah, you know, it's funny. You you were saying all of that. And what pops into my mind is when I was uh, a kid, um, which some people might think that was 10 days ago. (laughs) But when I was a kid, I had a Game Boy Color. And I loved my Game Boy Color, and I played Pokemon all the time. I had Pokemon Blue, and I loved it. And I would, my parents would take uh, me and my sister to Walt Disney World, and I would beg, "Let me take my Game Boy. Let me take my Game Boy." And they forced me to keep it in my in the hotel room. They said, "No, you're leaving that here because when you're at Disney, we want you to appreciate where you are and look at your surroundings and appreciate the cues and and, and the environments." And I remember as a kid, I was like, <laughs> "I don't like that. I want my Pokemon." But the, I, I then look now at as an adult and I go, thank you parents. That was a really good lesson for me to learn. So you look at the way that technology is right now, where with children, they have such a, I guess like an inclination to be on a phone, to watch YouTube, to always have stimulation of some kind. I think it's really exciting to see Disney understand that yes, this is a constant. Children will have phones. That's that's simply the way it is. But instead of being upset about that, they're taking that inclination and they're taking that uh, energy and then steering it towards interaction with the land that they're in. They're, they're using it, as you said, to, to translate ruins. Um, I have heard that there will be some form of a currency that you'll receive by accomplishing missions, partially from Smuggler's Run as well. Um, so that's really, really cool that they're encouraging, they're taking the energy of kids being on their phones but then funneling it through the appropriate channels in my eyes. And I think a lot of parents might agree that it's much, much better to use that in a communal aspect rather than just being sucked and focusing in on your phone. Right. 
Right. You're not, as a parent, we're not going to be watching our kids play. We're all going to be doing that together. You know, you all have mm-hmm. this mission or these missions that you need to do together. And I think I, I never thought I would say this, and I think your mobile device will encourage more interaction with the people in your party than they have in the past when it was more of a distraction from the real world communication. For sure. That's super exciting. Yeah, I think um, I'm really curious to see, you know, again, the Disney play app is, is relatively new, but I, I think how it's going to be utilized here and maybe eventually elsewhere is going to be fascinating but all right let, let's get get into um the 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 meat of it and and i'm not going to dining first although i really can't wait to get there <laughs> we know a lot we've heard a lot already about the attractions the millennium falcon smugglers run and rise of the resistance but we did get uh, a little more detail recently which is sort of the impetus for for wanting to do the show now look every kid and by kid, I don't care if you're 5, 50, or 75, wanted to pilot the Millennium Falcon. Well, you are going to get to do that. And the level of participation is going to be different. It's not you sitting in the cockpit over at um, Epcot and flipping buttons on mission space, you know, hoping that something would happen. The things that you do in terms of storytelling, and I think the payoff is going to be something that we haven't seen before. Uh, obviously, I, I think from a Q perspective, it's going to be very much like um, uh, Flight of Passage in terms of the storytelling and the interactivity. But I, I love the idea that we as guests, and this is I'm sort of going back to my idea of what Walt wanted Fantasyland to be, you are not just a passive observer in the Millennium Falcon, but, and Corey, I know you're excited for this, the things you do in that cockpit are absolutely going to change the direction and the story of your experience. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm just getting excited. I just want to go in line right now, but uh, no, it it, uh, it seems very much like Mission Space where you, you're going to be designated a role and everything I've seen says... Uh, there's going to be two sets of every role. So two pilots, two uh, engineers, two gunners. Um, it seems like very much like that, but I think they've changed how they do the queuing system. And that's what I'm probably the most excited for because you are actually going to be in the Millennium Falcon while you're waiting. And then they're going to call you up and you guys are going to get in your Millennium Falcon cockpit and they're going to shut the door. And then your experience is going to begin. And uh, everything I've seen, indicate that like maybe it's just your party that's that's waiting there on the hollow chest table making sure the wookie wins and then when you call (laughs) up you're not going to see the party that that went ahead of you they're going to be long gone uh so it's just to stop it's a queueless queue which means you're not going to be lining up in single file way you know one winding through a a, a queue with stanchions there's I, i imagine this sort of being this open area type of maintenance bay that you can look around. And then when it's your time to, to ride you and your party are called up for again, that one and only quote unquote mission that's happening on the Falcon. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, Corey, I just got to say, I, I really appreciate the amount of movie references you're making. It's <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Um, but to that point, I think what's really encouraging for me as a star Wars fan 
is that Disney has clearly understood how personal some of these experiences are. And I think even more so than Rise of the Resistance, Smuggler's Run is going to be an insanely personal attraction, especially, I mean, definitely for me, but I think for hundreds and thousands of people, um, because the Millennium Falcon's iconic. It is going to be almost the weenie of the uh, entire land. You will be drawn to go to the Millennium Falcon. And we all have, over the past 40 years, have our own personal attachments to the Millennium Falcon. So in that same way, I think Disney realized we can't just have an attraction like we've had where you say, here's the entrance. Everyone funnels to that entrance and you see a line in front of you and you follow that line. And then everyone enters different you know, theaters for the Millennium Falcon. What Disney realized is every single person should have a personal, specialized experience on that Falcon. So my understanding is, is that, yes, there will be a queueless uh, experience where you will be waiting literally on the Millennium Falcon. Like, uh, Corey, you had said that you'll be playing hollow chess. Yeah. My understanding is that you can sit down, play hollow chess, you can push buttons, you can explore the Falcon up until your mission is ready. And then your party alone enters the Millennium Falcon. So it's not just going to be, all right, corral A, please walk through this way. <laughs> like, it will be, hey, you are part of a team and you are entering the one and only Millennium Falcon and they're going to make it just for you. And that that gives me a lot of confidence because that shows a strong attention to detail because they understand if we mess this up, this is a personal experience with years and years of uh, emotional attachments that they could be playing with. Uh, so, yeah, it's <laughs> it's really exciting to understand that I will be pushing buttons and literally piloting. Like, I heard that there is, um, if you've seen any of the Star Wars movies, when you go into hyperspace, that really great, or honestly, if you've been on Star Tours, that moment when you hit hyperspace and um, you like kind of lean back a bit. It will be somebody's job to go into hyperspace. There will be a lever that you have to push. And I read that there, there is a satisfying feel when you push forward, like a, just a little bit of resistance to be like, yeah, I'm doing it. <laughs> right. It's, it's what we think we're doing in mission space, but you're really doing here. And from what I understand, like the the things you're supposed to do, that the buttons you're supposed to push or the levers will, will light up when it needs to be, you know, put into action and if you miss it you miss it and it will affect your experience so everything happens in real time so every decision that has to be made by a crew member will affect the outcome like i remember like this is a really old you guys are not like it's like playing dragon's lair in the arcade like if you missed it <laughs> your experience would change but here Every cockpit has its own real-time rendering system for this multi-projection um, uh, experience across these five screens that are really sort of surround the cockpit. So the things that you do from a, a, a physical perspective inside are going to instantly change what you see on the outside. So the rewritability factor of this is going to be insane in terms of what you're going to be able to do and just how different it's going to be. I can't wait for all the family fights. Like, dad's yelling at their nine-year-old kid, like, what do you mean you missed the button? What's wrong with you? We waited online for 11 hours for this. Um, but when you're done, but when you're done, you know, how this is going to impact your experience. So I, I wonder when you're done and you exit the attraction, what's waiting for us when you get out? Are there going to be cast members? Are there going to be screens that are going to be 
the way that they react to you coming out might differ depending on what you did during your mission. Because your yeah, mission so impacts one. the people living in this in this world as well. Yeah, absolutely. That, so that's one question I had from seeing all the press releases they've come out with is the amazing animatronic of Hondo Anaka. Where does he fit into that? Is he going to be the guy at the end of this asking you why you broke his his precious uh, his pre- precious <laughs> money in Falcon, or is he going to be briefing you in the beginning? You know, it, it might be pretty easy for for Hondo to change his response and demeanor depending on how you walk out of there. But uh, just looking at the animatronic. First time I watched it, I thought it was a live action character in a really. <laughs> I think everybody thought it was a live action, per- like a real yeah. person in there. So I'm just waiting for when people start walking out saying, "Yeah, he walked up to us and uh, <laughs> pointed his finger right at me." Well, Some I mean, guy that had that remarkable be- face paint. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you thought that the the if you think that the shaman in Navi River Journey is incredibly fluid and quote unquote lifelike for being you know, a, a non-human form, the movements of this figure, and supposedly there's like 50 plus functions. He's got more than 10 in his head alone. Um, he's also not going to be only, this is the, the new generation of figures. He's not going to be the only A1000 figure in Galaxy's Edge. So we will see other figures that are going to be so incredibly lifelike and are going to, um, and I think maybe for the first time ever, he's going to have a, a speaker in his chest so you get that sort of sense of directional sound when he's talking to you he's going to sound like he's talking directly to you um every uh, part of wrong. this experience yeah is, is is amazing you're not wrong uh he is going to have a speaker in him and i read a really interesting piece about it where from a technical perspective they put a speaker in him after the fact they didn't realize that they were going to do that they thought there would be speakers near him that they would use but they used something called bim uh, it was like a, a system that they would use to like figure out piping and uh, you know wiring and how they would actually build all of galaxy's edge and they realized oh we don't have the room to put speakers in before they had started building <laughs> thankfully it had been before they actually you know broke ground so they realized okay since we can't do that we're going to put a speaker in him and then that of course then creates a much more uh, personal experience uh and cory going back to what you were saying so from what i understand is hondo anaka will be your he will be kind of the the catalyst of you riding and piloting the Millennium Falcon. You will be sent on a mission to smuggle goods. I don't know, a smuggle, uh, carry, transport, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah if you're a route um, you will be smuggling goods uh, for, for Hondo. And he is sending you on the mission. So I think I think he's going to be part of like the experience leading up to the attraction. And then maybe the experience afterward is when you're in, say, uh, Oga's Cantina, uh, where you will actually see the aftermath of that. I also have heard that it is impossible to crash. <laughs> you might not do, you you might not do well. You might uh, bang up the Millennium Falcon a bit, but you won't be able to necessarily. Let me put it this way: you won't wait four hours for this ride and then have it be over in thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> right to avoid those fights with your kids, like you made the ship crash and the attraction's over. <laughs> that quickly um let's be real the parents are probably going to be the one not knowing how to pilot it yeah we're going to be good right we're going to be asking our 12 year 13 year old kids how do i do this what what buttons do i push um but if you think the sense that i'm getting is if you think you're gonna like smugglers run 
just wait till you ride Rise of the Resistance because this is, from what I'm gathering, not just the most advanced but immersive experiences anywhere ever. So just to sort of set the stage, you're you're joining this battle that's going on between um, the First Order. Kylo Ren is going to be there. There's going to be Star Destroyers. But this is the one that I think, like Flight of Passage, is that is going to make people just sit there agape like, what did I just experience? How did I do that? Um, take us through a little bit of what you guys know about the, the Rise of the Resistance attraction. Well, it's funny you mentioned uh, sit there agape because I think for the majority of this attraction, you might actually be walking around a little bit. Um, so it, uh, from, from what I've seen, there's going to be, once you get kind of out of the queue and into the action, they're going to brief you. Uh, I believe you'll see Poe Demeron's X-Wing and then you'll board a shuttle. Uh, of course it's Star Wars. So something goes horribly wrong. Uh, and then you'll be <laughs> captured by the first order and, uh, you'll have to then escape. Uh, but going back to the animatronic bit, I think there's a cautionary tale because I've met Kylo Ren in Disney world and, uh, he's quite intimidating. <laughs> So if he's one of those A1000 <laughs> animatronics, I hope he's at the other end of the room. <laughs> you know, I've actually heard rumors of uh, for the experience that you'll have with uh, Kylo Ren that you might be able to feel the heat of his lightsaber. Like that, that it'll be that intimidating <laughs> that you, he will bring out his saber and you'll just like feel it. Um, but I'll tell you one of the things that, that is the most interesting to me about Rise of the Resistance is we've been talking a lot about... Um, the, the origins of Walt Disney Imagineering and Disneyland and Walt Disney World and some of the old school concepts that have stayed true for years and years and years, including, for example, animatronics. What's really interesting to me is the idea of, if you look at, for example, say, uh, Flight of Passage, uh, Avatar Flight of Passage at, in Pandora, there is a an entrance and there's a sign that says, wait time, X many minutes, and then you walk through that and then you stand in a line and then there's a pre-show and then you board the ride. I don't really know, based off of what I've read, where you can, quote unquote, begin the attraction. Like, is it when you sit down? I don't think so. I think that this attraction begins way before you sit down on an actual uh, ride vehicle. Seemingly, the attraction begins in the queue itself. It's not even just that the queue is an experience, but that you're going to be in the queue actively participating in the attraction. Um, So, Corey, you had referenced how you'll see uh, Poe Dameron's X-Wing. I, I hear that that's because Poe Dameron's going to be recruiting you to join the resistance. So most people might view this as a line and as a queue, but in my eyes, I'm like, whoa, I'm getting recruited for the resistance. Yo, I, <laughs> this is it. I, I am on the attraction itself. So if you really try to like measure how long an attraction experience is, I think that this might feel really long, even though the actual sitting time in a vehicle might not be as long. Because after you meet Poe Dameron and join the Resistance, your party will board a uh, a ship that will, a lot like the Star Wars Hotel we had referenced earlier, bring you up to a larger carrier up in space. And when you bo- get out of this uh, ship, I've heard people just agape at this experience. But you enter one ship, you move a lot like hydrolators, and then a door opens, and then you are on a Star mm-hmm. Destroyer. Like... I heard, <laughs> I'm not sure how accurate this is, but I heard that this one experience when you, the doors open and you're on a Star Destroyer, that this one room is literally the size of the Pirates of the Caribbean show building. <laughs> yeah. Wow. 
And that's yeah. like to give you an idea on scale. I mean, that's that that is a warehouse. You're going to be entering a warehouse of an actual star destroyer, and that's not even a tenth of the ride. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So the uh, the report I read said the entrance was uh, supposed to, supposedly a uh, uh, hundred feet wide when you walk through, which is pretty sizable for an attraction entrance. And then, uh, <laughs> and, and they released a photo of Imagineers pointing up at a life-size TIE fighter in the bay. So, you know, it's gotta be huge to scale. And again, that's not even the ride that, right. that is right. you coming into the front doorway of the ride. <laughs> right. So you're going to, before the ride even starts you and, and I'm gathering that it's around 50 people or so that sort of you get into the briefing room, BB eight is there. Poe is there. You're going to see um, uh, his X wing. You bore the U wing. Then you get, onto this Star Destroyer, and there's this, again, that that gigantic reveal, and there's like 50, some animatronic, some stationary stormtroopers. There's a, a, a full-size first-order tie just sort of docked on the wall, and then you'll be split up into groups. Like, a, again, technically, you are haven't really started the attraction yet, but you <laughs> broke up into groups of 16 and led down these corridors of a Star Destroyer as if you were on set in the film. You have an encounter maybe with a Kylo Ren, and then you it's one after the other. There's more First Orders we've heard about and we've seen concept art and some of the pictures of some of the ADATs, but it is going to be that combination of you know, walking tour type experience as well as these trackless vehicles, which I have to imagine are less like what we had in Ellen's universe of energy adventures and more <laughs> like what you have at Mystic Manor out in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. Disneyland, where yes. there is no track. I mean, the vehicles themselves are and an attraction themselves, the way they move. <laughs> And if they take that technology, scale it up a little bit, uh, I can see why what we've started to hear so far in terms of quotes, you know, I'm hearing, you know, jaw dropping. How did they do that? People weeping. Um, mm-hmm. This is going to be the one that that are, is going to have people in, in awe. And you know, I hope we haven't lost the non-Star Wars fans yet. I hope you, I hope you guys are still with us. <laughs> well, because I think like uh, Pandora, because you... I, I think you're right. And, and I thought about this when we were first. I'm like, oh my god, how nerdy are we? Like Pandora, you don't have to have ever seen the, mm-hmm. the Avatar. You don't have to know who any of these things or characters or ships are to be able to enjoy these attractions. If you if you are one of those people that haven't, uh, you know, watched the movies over and over again, like uh, either of the three of us, <laughs> um, I would go home and watch the Star Wars: The Force Awakens. There is a scene early on in the movie when someone gets captured and brought onto a star destroyer, and uh, it sounds like one of their pieces of inspiration was that scene of seeing this character get captured um, and brought around, and they wanted to kind of recreate that feeling that you have when you're in the movie theater, but they wanted you to actually live that experience so going back to what we were discussing earlier about cast members being uh given some leeway as far as hey you're not just going to be boarding people onto a ride vehicle but you are actually going to be part of this experience the first order uh you know i guess soldiers let's call them (laughs) the first order soldiers will be coming in and 
kind of almost yelling at you, like, you are prisoners. You are following us this way, um, and we are going to be directing you. In all reality, of course, they're guiding you towards an attraction, but it's not just as simple as, hey, please sit here and pull on your, uh, you know, your seatbelt. <laughs> Instead, it is going to be, we want you to actually feel like you were just captured by this militant, you know, base. Right. And, and like you were going back to of uh, Star Wars is, is very simple in, in concept of there are good guys and bad guys. Uh, and they specifically built this land, it seems like, so that there is no focal character that you need to have paid attention to for decades mm-hmm. upon decades to understand Star Wars is the character. The world is the character. You live in this world and they expect you to just be able to pick apart good guy and bad guy. And it's pretty easy to tell the difference. <laughs> One of them's not yelling at you, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> enjoy and experience those things without having to have understood all of the lore. That'll be there if, if that's your thing and if that's what you can cue in on. And, but uh, and you don't have to necessarily know who, you know, Ray or BB-8 or Sokotano. Like you don't have to know who those people are necessarily to enjoy it, but you, you will enhance it if you do. Uh, but like you said, there are some certain things that they seem to have keyed in on uh, some of the first force awakens is definitely that, that, uh, the shuttle bay reference, it seems like, uh, but they've also built in their own references with the comics and then books. Uh, we'll get to the food I'm sure later, but there's references to the drinks in some <laughs> of the books. Um, so you don't have to necessarily have watched the films every weekend. Like some people, uh, to, to thoroughly enjoy what's, what's coming for us. And let's be clear, we're going to get to the food right now, because I think I think that the food is is the third attraction, right? Because the don't laugh. I mean, it. that concludes part one of our detailed look at and throughout Galaxy's Edge. Stay tuned next week for part two, where we discuss the numerous and various and probably delicious dining options the merchandise and merchandise experiences, the technologies involved, and how to best prepare yourself and your family for what's to come. It's time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or just see how well you pay attention to the details in what you see, hear, sometimes taste. If you think you know the answer, you can enter via our online form for a chance to win a Disney and WW Radio prize package. Of course, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, I asked you to fill in the blank and finish this sentence. You know, I predict that one day, millions of people will learn blank and blank sitting in front of their TV sets. Well, first you had to know where that came from, and that comes from Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress. This comes from the third scene, or third act, where it's Halloween there in the fabulous 40s, and everything is better than ever right now. They've got new wonders around the house to prove it, like the refrigerator that holds more food than ice cubes, the automatic dishwasher, so now mom and dad don't have to do dishwashers dishes anymore after supper, Rover and I have more time to enjoy their evening stroll stroll together. Cue the dog. But Father also talks about that now they have television when it works. And it gives you something to do after you come home. I kind of like this guy, John Cameron Swayze, who gives us all the news. And they have singing and dancing. A lot of fluff, but it's fun. 
The lights come up. Grandma is watching TV while Grandpa is <clears throat> resting his eyelids. And Father says, you know, I predict the day when millions of people will learn Latin and Greek sitting in front of their TV sets. Grandma then looks over to Grandpa. She asks if he's awake. He replies with a snore. So she changes the channel to a boxing lat- match. I was going to give my, my grandma, give him a left your big lug impression, but I won't. I'm going to move on because obviously the answer was Latin and Greek. Thank you to all of you, the hundreds of you who entered, got this one correct, or were once again incredibly creative in your answers. I was looking, though, for Latin and Greek. I took all the correct entries, entries, randomly selected one, and this week, last week, you were playing for all of my digital products, which are my seven virtual auto walking tours of Magic Kingdom, as well as my 102 ways to save money for that Walt Disney World book, which, by the way, you still can get in iTunes and Amazon. You're also going to get a WW Radio vinyl sticker for your car, your laptop, your mirror, your wall, your forehead, which is only available as a prize, by the way. A WW Radio pop socket for your phone because all the cool or even not so cool kids are using them. And a WW Radio t-shirt. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Richard McDermott. So, Richard... I have your your uh, address, be- not because it, I'm creepy, but because you answered it using the online form. I will get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So, of course, I have to make it Star Wars related based on this week's discussion. And your question this week is simply to tell me, what is the name of your flight attendant slash TV spokesperson for Star Tours that ensures all passengers practice proper flight safety. That's it. Let's see how well you pay attention to the queue or the Google or the YouTube. I want the name of the spokesperson slash flight attendant for Star Tours that you see and hear in the queue right before you board your Star Speeder. You have until Sunday, March 10th at 11.59 p.m., not a second later, maybe a second later, I'm easy, to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the form there. Again, I'm going to send you all the products, a vinyl sticker, and a not available, well, I guess it is available at the WW Radio t-shirt store, but you can. I will also send you a WW Radio t-shirt for you to wear in the parks, at home, at bedtime, while you're watching. And you really can wear it anywhere you want. So good luck and have fun. And may the Schwartz and the Force be with you. Always. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so very much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. I know how valuable and limited your time is and am sincerely grateful for you spending and sharing it with me. Just a couple of quick announcements. Don't forget that I want you not just to be part of the community, but really the conversation. So go to www.radio.com slash community. That is our free Facebook group where we can talk about not just this week's show and the podcast in general, but anything Disney or Marvel or Star Wars related. I promise you that it is a very warm and welcoming and completely family-friendly community, and more importantly, I want you to be a part of it. You can also connect with me otherwise on social. I am at Lou Mangello on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest. Again, this show is for, by, and with you, so I'd love to hear from you. If you have a question you want me to answer on the show, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com. If you want to be heard on the air, you can call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. 
And if you'd like to maybe join me on the show, I oftentimes will reach out to our WDW Radio Nation community for members to join me on discussions or roundtables. It's also a great way for you to help support the show. It's completely optional, but it's also a way for me to thank you and give back to you each month. I want to thank some recent and longtime members, including Tony Shackelford, Mike Sizemore, Ken Haas, Joe Holton, Alan Cole, Taylor Roberts, Andre Bourquet, and Ada St. Clair. I sincerely am, am grateful for your love and support. And again, if you join the nation, not only do you get to help support the show, but you also get re- rewards every month. I create a new monthly scavenger hunts from the park, sometimes from Disney Cruise. We have a private Facebook group. I'll also send you a WW Radio Nation Magic Band cover. We have logo gear, backpacks and t-shirts, monthly care packages from Walt Disney World, which are always a lot of fun. We also have exclusive live video group calls where it's not just you watching and listening to me, but we all participate together on a video chat. It's a great way to not just be part of the conversation, but really more importantly, be part of the community. And most important, don't forget that a portion of the proceeds of what you contribute each month goes to our Dream Team Project to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. It is by far and away the most important part of what I, what we do together. To find out more, to be part of the nation, you can go to www.radio.com support. Again, I talk about community and family because that's what you are. And as, as much as I love connecting and hearing from you online, nothing, nothing beats a handshake and a hug. It's why I continue to do monthly meetups and events in Walt Disney World. Our next meet of the month will most likely be the weekend of March 30th. Stay tuned to the show as well as the events page over at www.radio.com slash events. We also have other group events coming up. We have one spot left for our Adventures by Disney to Japan. Next year in February, we're going out of New Orleans on a WW Radio group cruise, which are so much fun, and I love New Orleans so very much. We're also working on some other special events. We'll be out at D23 Expo again with our friends and partners over at Mouse Fan Travel on the show floor. Also, I I do other meetups, not necessarily Disney-related or in Disney destinations, but as I travel to speak on the road, I'll actually be in San Diego later on this month. I might try and do a meetup out there for Social Media Marketing World. I also go to speak at conferences and events in schools, and if I could maybe help you, your event, your business, your school, whatever, visit lumangelo.com. I have topics that range from everything from pursuing your passion and, and building a business that you love to podcasting, new media, live video, customer service, using Disney as an example, leadership lessons from Walt Disney. So it runs the gamut from school to corporate to small businesses to conferences. Again, go to lumangelo.com to find out more. Also, while you're there, If you're looking for individual help, I'm going to be opening up a new mastermind group in the next couple of weeks. I also have my Momentum Weekend Workshop in Walt Disney World, September 28th and 29th. And I just announced the dates and availability for my June retreat, which is a weekend long retreat at a luxury vacation home right outside of Walt Disney World. We're 10, limited to 10, like-minded entrepreneurs who want to turn what they love into what they do get together for a three-day retreat where I take care of all the details, your room, your meals, materials, and more importantly, it's where we get to spend a weekend taking a deep dive on you, your business, the life that you want to lead. Last year was the first one. I'm excited to do that again. That is limited to 10 people. I have already sold 
four seats. The rest are going to go quickly. To find out more, visit lumangelo.com slash retreat. Thanks, as always, to Becky Mankin and the entire team over at, at mousefantravel.com. Whether you're going to anywhere in the Disney or other worlds, I mean, like this world, but other destinations, they give you the best service, which is most important, at no cost to you. Go get a free no-obligation quote by visiting mousefantravel.com. Subscribe to Celebrations Magazine over at celebrationspress.com. And as always, my friend, and you, you are my friend. Whether we have met yet or not, I promise you that. All I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Invite your friends other people in your community to be part of our WW Radio family. So tweet out that you're listening, share a link to this or your favorite episode with your friends over on Facebook. And if you can, take 30 seconds to rate and review the show over at iTunes. It's incredibly helpful. I would really love if you can just do that for me, for us. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Disnut90 who said, it's the best podcast on Disney. Lou knows his stuff. All the aspects of Disney, the parks, the characters, the movies, the man, and most importantly, I thought you were going to say the food, Lou is always positive. He brings the same uplift to your spirit as visiting a Disney park. Zagata says, it is the most magical Disney podcast on the internets. Lou is a gem, Aww. and his enthusiasm translates to every level of fandom. Never boring, always interesting and educational. Plus, you always feel better after listening. Zagata, that is it. You've It's exactly what I, it, I want you to do is feel better after you're listening and erica 308 says i love this podcast lots of exclamation points in all capital letters she says lou is an awesome host with wonderful guests interesting topics and an unparalleled passion for all things disney his show keeps me company each day i drive into work and sometimes at work too i also appreciate that the podcast stays family friendly always have been always will be so i can listen with my daughter i dig that Thank you for being such a gracious and humble host, and I love the community that WW Radio has become. See ya, she says. Erica, Zagata, and Disnut, you guys have are, have not only been so kind and generous with your words, but really have encapsulated what I want this show, and more importantly, this community to feel like. Again, just go to www.radio.com. You can leave a uh, go to iTunes. You can leave a review there. Or go to www.radio.com slash iTunes and it'll show you exactly how to do it. Finally, again, I, I wish I could figure out other ways to say thank you, thank you, thank you. I love and appreciate you. I hope that you enjoy this show. I hope that it does bring a, a positive light and a smile to your face each and every week. And whatever that thing is that you want to do, whether you want to be a podcaster, an astronaut, I don't... Every big thing has a small beginning, right? Just get started. Take your first step. If I can help you at Momentum, the retreat online with a call, please let me know because it's one of the ways that I feel like I can give back and more importantly, let you have the lifestyle and the feeling that you want to have each and every day and the one that you give me by virtue of you listening and your friendship. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I hope that this is your best week ever. So until next time, may the Force and the Schwartz be with you. See ya. Hi, Lou. This is Kathy Ring calling from Chanhassen, Minnesota. I was just listening to the most recent podcast about extinct stage shows. Um, I actually just posted on Facebook that I'm doing some ball walking with my little princess while I'm on maternity leave. 
and I decided to pause the podcast and call in because um, I distinctly remember seeing the Barbie stage show in Epcot back in the early 90s, um, and I remember the pink limo. I remember them bouncing beach balls through the audience, um, and I also had a best friend back in uh, when I was that age that had the birthday Barbie video at Epcot, and I used to want to watch it every time I was at her house. I think I drove her crazy, um, not necessarily because I was a big Barbie fan, but because I was a big Disney fan, and um, I remember her going through all the world showcases at Epcot. Um, there was like two little girls, I think, that were trying to get to her celebration. Um, the scene that sticks out in my mind is the girls eating spaghetti in the Italy Pavilion and then using a spoon to stir the spaghetti, which I thought maybe would get a kick out of me remembering that. But, uh, and we also do have the show on uh, video from when we used our old big camcorder to record it. Um, I have no idea where that is, but it's somewhere at my mom's house. And uh, I'll have to dig it out and see if I can maybe get some uh, video or some screenshots to put up on the Facebook page. But anyways, I just want to tell you that I do remember the show. I personally loved it. Um, it was kind of up my wheelhouse back then. I was at that age. So, uh, anyways, thanks for doing such a great show. You're awesome. Um, yeah, thanks. Have a great day. Hey, Lou, this is Alex Spires. I'm calling from South Georgia um, in the Georgia area. But I just wanted to say I finished episode 545, and I absolutely loved it. I'm so glad you did this show. Um, it really got me back in my feels from when I was a kid. Um, I'm 26 now, so um, back in, like, 95, I think, was my first trip when I was about – three or four and we went to Disney World every year and I remember all these shows that you mentioned they, well maybe not all of them but I remember um, the Legend of the Lion King show I believe you said it was um, just bits and pieces of that and I remember um, I believe I remember the Muppet show but there was one show that I really wanted to call in about because I'm really surprised you didn't mention it but um, there was a Doug show, and it was inside. I don't know where it was, but it was at Hollywood or MGM at the time. And I remember that show. They would pick people out of the audience, and at the end, there would be, like, this band performance that you would, like, um, they would, like, perform with, like, Doug's band or something like that. I don't remember, but I do remember that me and my brother, we loved that show. And because, you know, Doug was on that ABC Saturday morning for kids, and um, – I just really wanted to just to call and say that because I feel like that was a show that was um, pretty popular. Um, maybe not so much now, but definitely a show that was in the 90s. And um, anyways, love the show. Really enjoyed this episode, and I can't wait for more. Hope you have a magical day. Bye-bye. Hey, Lou. This is Christine Morrison again from Flower Town, PA. And so I got in touch with my brother and asked him about the restaurant and said, what can you tell me about it? Anything. So he said um, he doesn't have any pictures. So he said, sorry, no, I don't. I wish I did. I was 19. Of course, he just texted me again, and now I lost her. Hold on. I'm sorry. I was 19 then, and it was only Kevin and I. We didn't think to take a picture. It was 1989 and no digital, so I was saving my film for outdoor shots like the lagoon. And I said, great. So what details can you give me? Well, 
I remember we were on the right-hand side of the room near the dance floor band area. It was a low square table, and we sat on pillows. I remember it was the first time I had couscous. I also had some lamb. It was a belly dancer, of course, that we got a kick out of. Kevin sat to my left. That was about it. We chose to go eat lunch there because we thought that this is a restaurant we don't have back home. And I said, do you remember when it was? It was July, I think, 1989. Definitely summer. It might have been August, too. And then he goes on to talk about Dave Smith. And we had a conversation about Dave Smith. And I sent him a link to the podcast of the interview with Dave Smith. And then we get back to the restaurant is in the same place. Not much has changed there except the tables. Maybe there were tables, too, back then. I honestly don't remember. But we definitely sat on the floor on pillows with the low square table. I'll ask Kevin if he remembers taking a picture. I wish we had, since it seems to be such an odd thing now. I don't remember if the name was different or not. And I asked him if he remembered what anything looked like. No, I'm sorry, I don't remember that. Not sure if there were patterns or solid-colored pillows. So there you go. Wish I could find out some more information for you. But also, I just found out my niece is going to be singing in the Candlelight Processional at Epcot in November with her high school. And I am freaking out. Gosh, I wish I could go. Opportunity of a lifetime. Anyway, make somebody smile, guys. Um, just thought I'd pass along that little bit of information um, from the restaurant way back when in 1989. Talk to you later. Bye.